today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. The intrigue continues, but God is going to intervene at this point in time. And the interesting thing, God's name is never mentioned in this book at all. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people look at the book of Esther and they say, well, I don't think that that book should even be in the Bible. It's just an event happening in the life of the Jews. And yet the thing is, we see his hand all over this thing. We'll talk about that a little bit near the end. Well, that night, While Haman is having the gallows built, and he's dreaming sweet dreams of Mordecai hanging from the rope, King Ajashuras, he can't sleep at all. Pastor David continues his overview of the Bible in one year with today's message in the book of Esther. It's interesting to point out that God's name is never mentioned once in the book of Esther. Even though the Lord's name is never mentioned, you can see his providence through the story. This is a story that has been retold over and over in film and book. So if you've never read the book of Esther, listen in as Pastor David gives an overview of an important story in the lives of the Jews. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Esther chapter 1 as he begins his message for a time such as this. Well, her story takes up an entire book of the Bible, and outside the Bible, in both secular as well as religious writings, her story has been written and rewritten multiple times. It's a powerful story. You read through it, it's full of intrigue, it's full of faith, it's full of this good versus evil thing, the reality of God triumphing over the situation in a no-win situation. Primarily five characters that we look at. One of them comes, goes out of the scene pretty quick. That's Vashti, who is uh, the king's wife, Ashishurus' wife, and she goes out of the scene pretty quick. The, one of the primary characters is Ashishurus, which is also known as Xerxes who is the king of Persia at that point in time. Then, of course, we have Esther, the the primary focus of the book. She was also known as Hadassah, her other name. Then there was Mordecai, which was Esther's uncle that raised her. And then there was this other guy by the name of Haman. Haman, a top palace official under Ajazuras. Now, One of the interesting things, I was going to save this till the end of the study because it might be a little disruptive, but I got to thinking, this is kind of a fun study, Esther is. Whenever within a Jewish layout where they are speaking the story or reading the story of Esther, every time that Haman's name is mentioned, do you remember what happens? Boo, hiss, hiss, boo, it's thumbs down. You remember the old you know, silent movies where the bad guy would get up there and the whole crowd, boo, boo. That's what they do in Jewish uh, congregations when they read the story of Esther. When 
Ezra and Nehemiah were commissioned to return back to Israel, back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple and then the wall. A lot of the Jews went with them, but a whole lot of them stayed up in the Babylonian area. They had built houses. They settled down in that community. They did not go back to Israel at that point in time. Well, once the Persians took control over the Babylonian empire, the capital city, which had been in Babylon, was then moved a little further east to a city by the name of Sushan or Susa. So Sushan now is the center of all the action we're going to be looking at as we read the book of Esther. After going through a succession of kings in around 480 BC, Ahasuerus becomes the, the king, the leader of the Persian Empire. Ezra chapter one, verse three. In the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all of his officials and servants. Now that's Ahasuerus, the, the, the king of Persia. All the powers of Persia and media, the, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being, being before him. And when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, this was a long party, y'all, 180 days in all. That's when you've determined to have a party, when it goes 180 days. But then when those days were completed, the king decided, well, let's have an after party. And so he makes a feast that that goes on for another seven days. People who were present in Sushan, those that lived in that area, all the leadership that lived in that area, the citadel from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Verse nine, Queen Vashti, also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Now, you need to understand that King Ahasuerus, he's, he's having this party, but it's a guy's party. It's all, it's all the leaders, all the noblemen and everything. So Queen Vashti, she says, well, I'm gonna have a, a party for all of their wives. So in her palace, in her area, she's got this party going on. Now, you need to understand, if we were to read this fully and completely here, Actually, it tells us very clearly that drinking was not mandatory. You did not have to drink at this party. But you also need to understand there was a whole lot of drinking that was going on. And after seven days of pretty much solid drinking, Ajasuras, he decides, well, he's going to call for his queen. So he calls his eunuchs and he says, in essence, hey, go fetch the queen so that he could show her off to all of his drinking buddies, you know, because as the word tells us here, she was beautiful to behold. Well, the queen tells the king, take a hike. You're not gonna show me off like a, like a piece of livestock or furniture. It's not who I am. And, and that was a reasonable response, you know, because he was pretty well wasted. All of his buddies were wasted. He wants to parade her in front of all these guys. And she says, there's no way, Jose, it's not gonna happen but not a good one because now the king got angry. As a matter of fact, he got very angry over this whole thing. And so he called and pulled together his quote unquote wise guys, his wise men. And after a time of consultation, one of these wise guys tells the king, in essence, look king, you gotta do something. Otherwise, all of the women of the empire, they'll no longer obey the commands of their husbands. They'll hear about what's going on, that the queen was able to disobey the king. All of our wives are going to be there. There's gonna be absolute chaos. It's gonna be anarchy. You need to get rid of her. 
you need to make another woman your king for the sake of modern civilization. Everything was on the line at this point in time. Verses 21 and 22, the reply of this wise man pleased the king. He sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, to every people in their own language. His empire went from India to Ethiopia. So there's a huge, huge empire. Here's the letter. Should be the master of his own house. You need to take a stand, men. And he spoke it all in the language of the people. At that point in time, the queen was exiled. The disaster was averted. All the wives of the kingdom, they got in line. They submitted to the master of the home. They became the little lady of the home. Man became the ruling chief uh, of everything. And now it was time for Ajashuras to, to hold a beauty pageant to find the next lucky little lady that's going to be the queen for him. So through a long series of events, Esther, who actually was a Jew living there in the Persian Empire at that point in time, she ends up winning the beauty contest. She spends about a year being primped and prepped before she's even presented to the king. To be the queen of Ajashuras at this point in time, I don't think that that's necessarily something that you would want to do. But anyway, she is now the new queen. Now, Mordecai, Esther's uncle, and once she became queen, Mordecai hung around the palace, kind of watched, make sure everything was going fine, just to make sure, again, that everything was okay for his niece. And then one day, while he's hanging around the palace, he hears that a couple of the eunuchs there, a couple of the doorkeepers, that they were coming together and they were coming up with a scheme or this plan to kill the king, Ajashuras. So once he found that out, well, he told that to another eunuch who told it to Esther. Esther told it to the king. The eunuch's plot was found out by the king, and these two eunuchs that were plotting to kill the king, they were literally hung out to dry, so to speak, and uh, their lives uh, were, were taken from them at that point in time. So the whole story of how Mordecai saved the king's life Then it got written in what's called the book of the Chronicles for the king. Now that's the end of chapter two. Now we're moving on. Now we enter in the fellow by the name of Haman, an Agagite. Now Haman is an Agagite, okay? An Agagite, For if you're a Bible student, that ought to ring a bell. The Agagites, uh, that's the guy, the king of Agag was a guy that Saul, King Saul, was supposed to murder or kill during the battle, but he saved his life, if you remember. And then Samuel came and hacked Agag to pieces right there at the foot of Saul and said, that's what you should have done. So he is a descendant from this guy. So again, we, we need to remember two things here. Remember the story of Mordecai and how he saved the king's life and the fact that Haman's an Agagite, okay? So remember those two things. Well, it turns out that King Ahasuerus, he promotes Haman and everybody in the kingdom now has to bow and pay homage to Haman, okay? So now the problem is, though, is that Mordecai is a Jew and he's not gonna bow down and pay homage to anybody, much less is he going to bow down and pay homage to a guy that's an 
Agagite, okay, coming from the, the King Agag. So again, he's not, he's not going to do that. So you got this problem. And so Haman, in essence, he gets pretty mad. Because everybody else is bowing down, paying him homage. And every time he walks by Mordecai, Mordecai just stands there with his, uh, you know, his arms folded in front of him. I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to pay homage to you at all. So he comes up with this idea that he's going to go after Mordecai and he's going to try to obliterate all the Jews. And so he actually comes up with a plan. Now we're in chapter 3. In chapter 3, look down at verse 8. Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Why, their laws are different than all other people's, and, and they don't even keep the king's laws. Therefore, it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. Why, if it pleases the king, Let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work. Well, the king didn't understand all that was going on. He trusted Haman. He was his top guy, so he trusted him. So he said, man, those guys got to be destroyed. He said, no, that, that totally makes sense. So the plan was to destroy the Jews, plunder all that they had, and put it into the king's treasury. And so the king thought it was a pretty good idea. So a decree was sent out to have a particular day on the calendar. As a matter of fact, they, they did kind of a, uh, a lottery to pull what day. Let's just, hey, what day? Well, I don't know. Let's just pick a day out of the hat kind of a thing. And they picked a certain day on the calendar. Look down in verse 13, 14, and 15. That certain day on the calendar was placed there to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women in one day, and to plunder their possessions. And so the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. Why would Sushan be perplexed? Because they've lived with the Jews for years now. 70 years, by the way, or a little bit more at that point in time. Since the exile, they've lived in that area under Babylonian control, now under Persian control. They're perplexed. They don't know what's going on. End of chapter three. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I don't think that drinking is good for Ajashuris because he keeps making these bad decisions every time. And that's exactly what was going on when he sat down with Haman and Haman came up with that bad plan. So now in chapter four comes this series of pretty quick events. Mordecai finds out about the plan. Then through one of the eunuchs, that's again friendly with uh, Esther and with Mordecai, he, Mordecai and Esther begin to communicate back and forth. Mordecai talks to the eunuch. He says, tell her Haman has a plan. <laughs> tell her that, that Haman has a plan to kill all the Jews. You need to talk to the king and get him to change his mind. And then Esther sends a message back to Mordecai through the same eunuch. And she says, will you tell him that nobody can just get an audience with the king. As a matter of fact, if you walk into the king without getting summoned, you could get killed yourself. So Mordecai tells the eunuch, well, you tell her if she doesn't do something, 
She's going to perish just like all the other Jews. Who knows? Rather, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That really is one of the most powerful messages in all of the book of Esther, but we'll look at that a little bit later on. Esther speaks to the eunuch, and she says, well, you tell him. Good point. Tell all the Jews to pray and to fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which, by the way, is against the law. But if I perish, I perish. End of chapter four. Now the beginning of some real intrigue at this point in time. Chapter five, Esther gets her audience with the king. We won't go through the whole thing there. But he grants her a request, and her request was, well, I would love to have a party, uh, O great king, with you and Haman. Then they were asked to attend while they were at that party. He says, is there anything else that I can do for you, Esther? And she says, well, as a matter of fact, there is. I'd like to have another party tomorrow night just for you and Haman. So they were asked to attend another party. And so Haman, he thinks he's like all that because he's really special. I mean, it's just him and the king. So he must be really hot stuff. He must be really important. I mean, he is it and more. Not only does he get to go to the party, but again, he's there with the king himself. Now, after he leaves that first party, With the invitation for the second party, he goes out and as he's walking along, here's Mordecai again, just standing there. Now he knows, you know, Haman knows that he's hot stuff. He knows he's super important. And yet here he walks by and Mordecai's not doing a thing other than just standing there. It infuriates him so much. No, it doesn't matter how important I am. Mordecai's not bowing down before. So he goes home. He has this sulking pity party. His wife and all of his friends around there talking to him about, oh man, you are so great. You shouldn't let this get you down, but we understand what's going on. So maybe what we need to do is come up with a a, a little plan here. Doesn't matter how much money he had. Doesn't matter how much prestige he had. Doesn't matter what place he was in the government. None of that meant anything because Mordecai doesn't bow or pay homage to him. So his wife and his friends tell him, says, listen, before you go to the banquet tomorrow evening, why don't you swing over to the king's house tomorrow morning and say something about Mordecai so that you can hang him in the morning before the party that night. Then you can, as it says there in in, in chapter four near the end, then you can go merrily to the king, uh, with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and so he had the gallows made. This wasn't a week's job. He had them made that night because he's planning on hanging Mordecai in the morning so that he can enjoy tomorrow night's party. The intrigue continues, but God is going to intervene at this point in time. Although, and the interesting thing, God's name is never mentioned in this book at all. 
And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people look at the book of Esther and they say, well, I don't think that that book should even be in the Bible. It's just an event happening in the life of the Jews. And yet the thing is, we see his hand all over this thing. We'll talk about that a little bit near the end. Well, that night, while Haman is having the gallows built and he's dreaming sweet dreams of Mordecai hanging from the rope, King Ajashuras, he can't sleep at all. So he wakes up. There's nothing on HBO. There's nothing on Netflix that he wants to watch. So he calls the librarian. They bring in the chronicles of the king, and they start reading to him. And here we see God's intervention because the very thing that they open up is the story of who? Mordecai. And how Mordecai saved the king's life. And so they, they read that to him, and, uh, and he is just absolutely amazed by that, just absolutely thrilled about that. And he wants to award Mordecai for his selfless acts. And so he wonders what to do. And it's like getting morning, the sun's up, and you know he's, he's, he's lost sleep over this whole thing, but now he's all refreshed because of the story that Mordecai had saved his life. And as he's getting up trying to figure out what to do, come knocking on the door is our buddy Haman. And um, at that point in time, King Ajashuras, he says, hey, I've got this question. Look at it, chapter six, verse six. Chapter six, verse six, you ready? So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, well, whom should the king delight to honor more than me? I mean, this guy was humble, very humble guy. Who should the king delight in more than me? And so verse seven, and Haman answered the king, why, for that man whom the king delights to honor? Let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has the royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, princes, that he may array this man, in other words, that he might be the one that places it on this man whom the king delights to honor. And then parade him around on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Thus shall it be done to the man to whom the king delights to honor. All through the square. Well, the king said to Haman, that's a great idea. He says, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you suggested. And Haman's getting all excited, I'm sure. And do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits waiting at the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you've spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall be done for the man with whom the king delights to honor. I'm sure the guy was brokenhearted at this point in time. This is the wrong guy to be on the horse. I ought to be on the horse. But Mordecai is on the horse.
As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.